merciful and mighty. So we have this holy God that we are absolutely separated from because he can't have anything to do with unrighteousness. And then he chooses by his mercy and through his own might to step into this world in the flesh, God in the flesh, and and walk to the cross and lay himself down to serve as the sacrifice that would make a way for us to be able to be in relationship with our holy God. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, church? Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. As we get into the word of God, I'm going to kneel before him and pray. And I'm going to ask you if you're like, if you're on the end and you can get on your knees with me, that would be marvelous. Otherwise, slide to the front edge of your seat and let's lean into our Lord as we look to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you right now. Is our merciful and our mighty God, recognizing the truth that you are holy and that we are set apart from you. there's only one way for us to find our way into relationship with you and that is through accepting the truth of what you did for us on the cross thank you thank you Jesus for coming in the flesh thank you Lord for that incredible act of love that made a way for us and now Lord for those that bow the knee to you in humble submission to your authority asking you to be Lord of our lives Lord for those that do that Lord you bring us into your eternal kingdom praise be to you for that And then, Lord, the truth is that there is nothing this world can present us that should shake us because we belong to a greater kingdom than this. Thank you for the might and the power of your word and how it expresses who you are. Thank you for providing us with it. Now, Lord, as we open it, as we move on into it, I'm asking, Lord, that your um, kingdom would come and your will would be done and that you would speak your words to your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Let's say this is a real life experience for me and I've been in pastoral ministry for the last 15 years. And, uh, and it's been presented to me in other ways, but I had the privilege of sitting with a young man. Um, his name was Chad. And if you were at the beach a couple of weeks ago, you saw him be baptized. Um, but Chad, Chad, he gave his life to the Lord. And, and uh, so I'm sitting with him as he did it. And I lead him through the prayer. And he's sitting there and he goes, this is what's kind of, really awesome about the, the family of Christ. And I don't see Brandon Sternick here, but I'm going to call him out by name. But anyhow, after we prayed the prayer, Chad, he like slides to the front of his seat and he looks at me and he goes, I already did this with Brandon. And I'm like, that's absolutely incredible. The body of Christ at work on behalf of a young man that needed to give his life to the Lord. And so Brandon actually had the privilege of leading him into his relationship with the Lord. But as Chad is sitting on the edge of his seat, and he's, after he declares, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, I accept what he did for me on the cross, he says, now what do I do? And so let me ask you a question right now. Our, if, you are, if you call Summit Church your church home, you know that you are called to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. And we find that in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth was given to him, and now he commands us to go and make disciples. So we're going to go and make disciples. We made a disciple of Chad, yet pretend now that you've just led someone to Christ and you don't have the word of God. So tell me. 
you just led someone to the Lord, how are you going to teach them about who Jesus is? You can't, you can't say, well, I heard something in a sermon one day because we preach the Word of God here, right? And so you can't say, my pastor told me I should do this. You don't have the Word of God, so your parents haven't been able to help you know what to do when someone comes into relationship with the Lord. The Word of God has never come. So, so what are you going to do? What are you going to tell them? That's exactly my thought. He said, what am I supposed to do now? And I'm imagining, if I don't have the Word of God, where am I going to go? So you lead someone into relationship with Christ. You know the, you know the fulfillment of the Great Commission is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. But then Jesus goes on to say, and I want you to do this. I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now imagine you don't have the Word of God. In that moment, I knew I had the Word of God, but I was taken off guard because I'm like, well, shoot, what do I say next? Apart from the Word of God, I am even more lost with what to say next. Last week, we talked about the absolute importance of recognizing the truth that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he came because he desires to be in relationship with you and with me. Today, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is, what we do with who Jesus is, and what we do because of who Jesus is. He came in the flesh, he presented himself on the cross, sacrificed himself so that we could actually enter into relationship with him and God the Father. So that's our foundation. Our mission is this, to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. But we don't know where to go apart from the scriptures to tell us how we're supposed to lead those who have given their lives to the Lord into deeper, more meaningful relationship with Christ. We don't know how to do it apart from the word of God. So come into relationship with Christ at the moment you accept what he did. And then the question is, what do we do next? And so as you know our foundation, it is Jesus Christ and the word of God. You cannot separate the two because Jesus came in the flesh. And in John 1, 1, John declares that Jesus is actually the word. And so he has presented us with the fullness of everything we need to know in his Bible. And that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus Christ, the word of God. Now, here is a bit of the spiritual growth dilemma. How would a person... Now think about it. How would a person even come close to knowing how to grow in his or her relationship with the Lord apart from the word of God? Here's a couple of things that I've heard. I've heard two things. Well, you know what? I have Jesus and that's all I need. I know what Jesus did for me on the cross and that's as far as I need to go. I just sit at the cross and I rest in the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. I go to him in prayer. Yes, that's wonderful. And yes, we should be at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. But I want to challenge you with this. That is not the end. That is the beginning point. That is not the end. That is the beginning point. You come into relationship with Christ, and now the right question is, so now what do I do? It requires action and participation in the life of the body as we move forward with the Word of God in our hands. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4 say this, that I delivered to you, Paul says to the Corinthian church, I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, that Jesus Christ died, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Yes, 
That is of first importance, but there are other things that are important too. We don't stop there. We keep moving. Others have said, well, I have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct me, and I have two things to challenge that individual with. Absolutely, 100%. When you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the holiness that he pours out on us comes from and through the Holy Spirit of God in us. That is how he can be in relationship with us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But you cannot separate the Word of God from the Holy Spirit. After you have put on the helmet of salvation in Ephesians chapter 6, after you've put on the helmet of salvation, having coming into relationship with Jesus in the flesh, he places in our hands what is called the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit in us, which is what? The Word of God. You cannot separate the two. Here's another thing I challenge the individual that says, I have the Holy Spirit, which you do. Praise God for that. You also have your flesh. And how do you know, here's a question for you, when you are feeling inner promptings, what do you do with an inner prompting that doesn't agree with what the Word of God has to say? The Word of God and the Holy Spirit cannot contradict each other. They go together. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So here's a bit of a confession for you. This is, a, this, is an, this is an easier sermon for me to preach than last week, and it doesn't feel like an easier one because it feels just as big as last week. But, but here's the confessional piece of this. It's safe for me to go to the Word of God. It's not as safe for me to experience relationship with Jesus in the flesh as he has given me his Holy Spirit because he is mysterious. And while the word of God declares who he is, there are some, there are some promptings and, uh, and, and activities of the, of the Holy Spirit in me that I can't make sense of. And so it's safer for me to preach a sermon on the importance of the word of God. And so along with that confession, do you know what my prayer has been for the last 10 to 15 years? Lord Jesus, Stir in me my love and affection for you. Now, I know you can't separate the word of God from Jesus, but we have Jesus in the flesh and we have the word of God declaring who he is. But I want to fall in love more and more and more with who Jesus is. And so I pray, God, stir in me my love and affection for you. I have it for your word and I know it tells me who you are, but I want deep and meaningful and passionate relationship with you. And so if I were to sit down again and say, you know what, we're not going to preach the word today. We worshiped. I'm going to call Corey back out and we're going to sing a few more worship songs. I know this, some of you would celebrate that because you love the expression of your relationship with Jesus Christ through worship. And to think that you now have the freedom to do that and we don't have to sit and listen to the word of God be declared. Some of you celebrate that. Some of you would be like, preach the word, man. I've had enough of worship. Some of you come waiting till we get through worship so we can open the word together. I want you to know you have a wrestling just like me. Some of you wrestle over needing to fall in love with the word of God. Some of you wrestle with needing to fall in love with Jesus in the flesh. So we have two sides to the coin. 
We have our relationship with Christ and the flesh, and we have relationship with his word. And so this kind of comes out to be this. This is like, I don't know how, like how do you preach about the importance of the word of God in 35 minutes to start with? And then it's like I was trying this week to shoehorn too much into too few passages, and I didn't know how to do it. So, like, I, I sought some counsel from Jasper and some of the elders. I was like, so what do I do? And they're like, well, preach what you believe the Lord is leading you to preach. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine that. And this is going to be like my top five reasons for why the Bible matters. Why does the Bible matter so much? This is my top five reasons. And I know I'll get to the end and I'll have Rick come up to me and say, yeah, but what about? And I'll have Jason come up to me and say, yeah, but what about? And I'll have Katie come up and say, yeah, but what about? And Miriam, but what about? And I'm like, yeah, I get that. I totally get that. And that's the way it should be because there is so much in here that speaks to who Jesus is and why we should be going after him and serving him and loving him. And next, you know what, three weeks from now, I'll be like, shoot, I wish I could have included that one in the sermon. But but I learned this from Ken Gensler, our former senior pastor. He said, he'll say, he would say this to you, and so I would declare the same thing. Don't take my word for it. These are five that that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon me. You go and you study the scriptures for yourself, and you determine what you believe the scriptures saying to you are important about itself. So don't take my word for it. These are, these are like Todd's top five. So why is the Bible such a big deal? Five things. You can't start without trusting that it is reliable. It is trustworthy. Why is the Bible such a big deal? Because it is trustworthy. And I know you have a ton of room there, but please, like I have a, so much scripture, just write the reference down to make sure you have this. We get that it's trustworthy from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it says this, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, okay, set the Bible aside. Well, what's every good work? I don't know what every good work is apart from the Holy Spirit of God telling me through his word, these are what good works are. You have the individual sitting across the table from you that give their lives to the Lord, his or her life to the Lord, and says, okay, now what do I do? Well, here's what we need to do. We need to count on the Bible to prepare us for and inform us on what the good works are that we need to be equipped to do. It can be trusted. It is God-inspired. Here's what that means. It means that the Holy Spirit of God impressed upon those that authored this book the very things that God wanted to be recorded in it. God-inspired. It's what he has to say to us, not what man has to say to us. It's God-inspired. We can trust it. It is perfect from beginning to end. The moment Adam and Eve fell... Jesus, before this, before his predetermined plan, knowing that Adam and Eve would fall, he had already laid out the course for the coming of himself in the flesh. The entirety of the word of God declaring, leading up to the need we have for Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And then, of course, beginning in Genesis 
chapter 2, when the fell happened, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, where it's declaring that this one who stands judge over the entirety of the world is coming again, and that you need to be in relationship with this one Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. It can be trusted for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training. It can, be, it can be trusted to produce a complete man equipped to serve and to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission come, making disciples for Jesus Christ. I sat down here in the front row and I said, what if we didn't have the Word of God to declare who Jesus is and what he has done for us? Everyone, let me challenge you with this thought, everyone needs a source of truth. What is your source of truth? Everyone needs one. If you come to Summit, this is our source of truth. Why is the Bible such a big deal? It's a big deal because it is trustworthy. I'm getting ahead of myself. It provides us everything we need for life and godliness. Let's look at another one. Why is the Bible so bi- such a big deal? It's the written and recorded gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it is. Listen to this. I shared this with you earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance, absolutely, helmet of salvation, coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, accepting what he did for you on the cross, making him Lord of your life. It's of first importance. He delivered that as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He died for our sin in accordance with the Scripture. The Scriptures had already determined that he was going to die for our sins. Verse 4 says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in what? In accordance with the Scripture. It had already been declared in the scriptures that Jesus was going to come and serve the sacrifice, to be the sacrifice so that we could be in relationship with him. Here's a famous one for you, where it was already declared hundreds of years before through Isaiah. Surely he bore, Isaiah 53, surely he he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Even back in Isaiah declaring Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You want a real mind bender? Isaiah, that's in the past tense. Hundreds of years before, written in the past tense about Jesus who is to come hundreds of years later. I love that. I love that. It's the starting point. Recognizing first importance, starting point. Then we move from there. Later on, In his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Imagine being able to say that in its completeness. For the love of Christ controls us. For we have concluded this, that one has died, Jesus has died, and one has died for all, that those who live, you accept the truth of who Jesus is, that those who live would what? No longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
The Bible is the written and recorded gospel message of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Declared in Isaiah, Paul declares it to the Corinthian church, and it goes on through the end of Revelation. Hey, you can trust it. The Word of God is trustworthy. It is the written and recorded Word of God. Here's a third one for you. Why is the Bible such a big deal? It has all the answers. And I know right now you're saying, I bet I can come up with some. I don't think you can. And I don't think I can point to the scriptures to provide you with all the answers because it is so big and so magnificent. Listen to this. It has all the answers. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. His divine power, Jesus' divine power, through it has granted to us all things, all things, that pertain to what? Life and godliness. All things. It provides every answer that we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellent, by which, verse 4 says, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. That's his word. His word, the Bible, has every answer we need as it pertains to anything involving life and godliness. Becoming partakers of the divine nature as we come into relationship with Jesus Christ through the flesh, his divine power is given to us. He opens our eyes to be able to receive what the word of God has to say so that we can escape, escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And then he challenges us. I want you to add to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. For if you have these qualities and they are yours in increasing measure, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful. The one who accepts Jesus Christ died on the cross for them and goes no further with it becomes unfruitful. He calls us to continue to move forward, accepting everything that he provides for us in his word because he has the answers for all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. That's the third one. Here comes a fourth one. Why is the Bible such a big deal? It's the foundation for discipleship. How do you know how to disciple someone if you don't know how to disciple them? According to the grace of God was given to me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, referred to this last week, verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. We're all being commanded to accept the truth that Jesus Christ is the foundation. He is the foundation. Paul says that he laid like a skilled master builder the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and someone else is called to build on it. Let each one take care how he builds. How do you know how to build without a blueprint? All right, we've laid the foundation, come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how do we build on that? We need something. We need a blueprint to tell us how to build on it, and so we have the Word of God. And so once we know how to build on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation, and we're told about the materials that we will be given to use, gold, silver, precious jewels, and then there is hay, wood, and straw. 
And your, your building on the foundation of Jesus Christ will be revealed on that day, this, the passage goes on to say, to say, when you enter into eternal glory with Jesus Christ. A moment called the refiner's fire. You will walk through and your work will be revealed as to how you built on the foundation, how obedient you were to what Jesus had to say about who he is and what he expects from us in his word. Gold Silver and precious jewels are going to be refined. Wood, hand, stubble, they're going to burn up. And it's our heart's desire here at Summit Church that you are building in such a way on this foundation, Jesus Christ, that when you walk through the refiner's fire, it will have proven that you are serious about your relationship with Christ and acting on what he has commanded us to do. It's the foundation for discipleship. It's where we get our pillars. Without a solid foundation, how would we know how to worship with, how would we know how to authentically worship? How would we know what it is to to approach the throne of grace with boldness in our fervent prayer? What would it even mean to be a personal, to be personal in my evangelism? How do I spiritually grow? And what does it mean to be genuine in my love toward God and toward others? Jesus is our foundation and and the word of God is our foundation and it's necessary for us to know that as we build on it. All right, here's a fifth one. Why is the Bible such a big deal? Because it keeps us from losing our way. 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 4. Mark that one down. 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 to 4. There is so much that this life, this world, the enemy and the weakness of your flesh will present to you that will, is determined to drag you away from your relationship with Christ. And it doesn't take long for you to start sorting through your life and looking for the temptations that have been placed in front of you that the enemy uses to pull you away. The word of God is useful for preach. We're commanded to preach the word and to be ready in season and out of season. And we're to use it to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And this is why, verse 3, verses 3 and 4. For that time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the word or listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. What would you say causes you, tempts you, to go in a way that you would find yourself to be lost? Hardship? How about even ease? Life is easy. When you've experienced ease too long, you forget who Jesus is. Even the way I feel about what hardship is and about what ease is, there's a temptation to be drawn away. Colossians 2, verses 6 to 10 say this, Therefore, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, he says we're to continue to live in him, rooted and then built up in him, strengthened in the faith as we were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is Colossians 2, 6 to 10. And as you're overflowing through with thankfulness, we're told to, to make sure, see to it that no one takes you captive through what? Hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. What's your source of truth? 
anything apart from this has the potential to be a hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, what man has taught man, and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ, even in medicine. I've shared this with you before. When my wife was laying in a coma, the doctors provided for me information about my wife's physical well-being. The Word of God provided me comfort from my wife's spiritual well-being and that this was not the end for her. Guess what I leaned into? Because medicine didn't have the answers. The Word of God had the answers that mattered for all eternity. Why is the Bible such a big deal? It's a big deal because we can trust it. It is the written and recorded gospel message of Jesus Christ in its fullness. The Bible does have all the answers. While it might take us a while to find the answers to some of your issues, we can find answers for your issues in the Bible, the things you are dealing with. It is the foundation for discipleship, and it keeps us from losing our way. But the Bible is, on a, is under attack, isn't it? Especially, well, not especially, but from the outside, both from the outside and from within. You know what's really crazy? I was preparing this sermon and I get a text. I'm seriously preparing. All scripture is breathed out by God. You can trust it. You can trust it. You can trust it. And my nephew Owen, in the moment, I get a text from him and this is what it said. Had a little argument with one of my friends about whether or not the words in the Bible are true. Like, how do we know that it's all real? His argument was, his argument was that there have been so many generations that have been passed down and translated. And then he asked, how would you respond to that? Hey, how would you respond to that? Guy comes into relationship with Jesus Christ. Now what do I do? Guy is asking, how do you know the word of God is reliable? Now what do I say? You know what I'd love to do? I'd love to be able to prove to you that it is trustworthy. So I'm going to point you to a book. James McDonald wrote a really small and very concise book. If you are someone that is looking for proof and I don't believe you should need it, and I'll explain that in just a moment, it's called God Wrote a Book and it provides you with a, um, an, an, well, I would call it an accurate portrayal of, well, providing of information that actually does a pretty good job of proving that the Bible has been, been preserved from its original writing until now. But I want to challenge you with this. Would our creator God send Jesus to die on the cross for us, call us into relationship with him, and, that, and then demand that we follow the very things that he has laid out for us that he has determined we should do? Would he do that without providing us 2,000 years later with some instruction on how we're supposed to do that? That is not the character of our God. The character of our God, he provides for us. And I believe this, that he has preserved his word from the first day it was penned till you and I have it in our hands right now. It's a matter of faith. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The word of God is of the Spirit of God. The natural person, so the unsaved person can't receive the things of the Word of God. Paul says they are folly to him. It's folly. 
For th- and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Receiving the truth that the Word of God is protected by him for his people is a spiritually discerned thing. You come into relationship with Jesus Christ and he begins to open your eyes and heart to be able to receive what he has to say to us. It's a matter of faith. Here's another one. Well, you know what? I can't, I can't listen to, you know, there are some things in it I don't have to listen to because it was written in a different culture. It was written to a different culture in a different time, so it does not apply today. So whatever that thing is right now that you're thinking in your head that the Scripture has to say, it was written to a different culture. Here's my question for you. So if you were in that culture and you were being told that truth, would you humbly submit to the truth in that culture? Would you humbly submit in that culture that it was written to if you believe that the Bible is, is written specifically for different cultures 2,000 years ago? This is what it said to them 2,000 years ago. So what you're telling me is you would have been willing to submit to it back then, but maybe you're not today. That's a question that I believe we all need to wrestle over. Different culture. It can't mean that. If God is a loving God, how would he say this? We at Summit Church accept the fullness of what is written in here. We do our best, absolute best, before God and among the full council of elders and pastors to make sure we are completely preaching the Word of God. We believe it means what it says. Some truths are definitely too hard to receive. They really are, but we have to receive them. So here, as we wrap this up, I have a question for you. Where do you personally go for life, for answers to life and godliness? Now think about it. Where do you go? Where do you go to your answers? You look at the news. Maybe it's WebMD. Maybe it's Wikipedia, Google, higher education. Last night's late night talk shows. The person you agree with the most or to whatever feels right. What is your truth? What is your source of truth? King Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He says, the words of the wise are like goads. He's referring to this book. They are like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, capital S, by him. That's our word that he has given to us. Solomon says, us, says this to us, my son, beware of anything beyond these of the making of many books, there is no end, and, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. Here's what Solomon is saying. Lean into the Word of God. Let that be your source of truth. And I'm, not, I'm sure he's not down on the writings of theologians, but what he's saying is, or, or what anyone else would have to say about, well, He would be down on some things that people have to say about things as it pertains to life and godliness. But what he's saying is, lean into the Word of God. Don't become weary in studying it. If you are a person that lives by your gut or your feelings or promptings of the Holy Spirit, what do you do when these contradict the Word of God? 
So here's a final thought for you. This is our great battle, and it was proven by Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Most of us want to be the ones that determine what our own truth is. We'll take this, but we won't take this. So what do we want to do? We gather around us ear ticklers, as Paul told Timothy. We gather around us ear ticklers to tell us what we want to hear. May that not be so, Summit Church. May this be what we lean into. Isaiah 66, and to bring it around to Jasper a couple of weeks ago, is, not, is this not the one that God looks to, the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word, God says? Colossians 1, 28 to 29 says this. This is where we get our spiritual growth pillar. It's what we want here, church. Summit Church, this is exactly what we want. We proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all my energy, he says, that that God powerfully works within him. That Summit Church It's our desire to see you mature in your relationship with Christ. Let's lean into our relationships with him and with his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I come before you now. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the safety that we have in determining life based on what you have to say to us through your word. Lord, may we humble ourselves before it. May we tremble at your word so that you will look on us and be pleased with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.